You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into Locked on Mavericks for Tuesday, October 18th. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Mike Marshall. You can follow me on the internet via the popular website Twitter, at Machine Sports. Uh, The better half of this broadcast on the other end of this phone line is Jacob Kemp of Sports Radio 13. Send the tickets. You can follow him at NotJackKemp, and you can listen to him every weekday, Monday through Friday, noon to 3 on Bad Radio on that very station I said a second ago, and Sunday mornings, 8 to 11 on the Shake Joint. Jacob, how you feeling on this Tuesday? Hey, yo. I'm <laughs> pretty great. We're, uh, every single show we do gets us one game closer to, uh, one day closer to actual regular basketball. So opening in Indiana is not real fun, but I think the home opener is Houston on a Friday night before uh, that's the Halloween night, so... There you go. So you can dress yeah. like uh, Randy Marsh? As Lord. <laughs> As Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't Jan, Jan Mahimi's out like four to six weeks, right? I, I have saw that. seen that, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to just nuke the Pacers. So they're done. Mm-hmm. I, don't even, I don't even know why they're going to show up. Salah party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're so close to the regular season basketball. Like you're in Albertsons and they just brought like the French bread out the oven. And I can, I can smell it back there in the bakery somewhere. I just can't quite find it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they're trying to sell knockoff T-shirt. Uh, you know, the the grocery store T-shirt. Just spend the extra money. The sport, the sporting, the sports yeah. memorabilia. And and if you don't have it, don't buy it. If you yeah. don't don't either buy a twenty dollars shirt or don't buy a shirt. Don't buy yeah. a twelve dollars shirt. That's exactly. my elitist take. Save up and to get something nice. You'll teach yourself something about economics. Yeah, like, don't just sign Jaleel Cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Jaleel Cousins is the, is the Kroger sports t-shirt of NBA pickups. Do we have the most, like, quote-unquote best friends of star players or, like, brothers of star players? Like, wasn't that Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Morrow? Morrow? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. That's awesome. And no, we have Seth, got we have Seth Curry. <laughs> Yeah, we couldn't find us couldn't find minutes for Anthony Morrow, but uh, I guess we should get rolling here. Uh, eight days until the regular season begins tomorrow night, um, the sixth Mavericks preseason game uh, at home over at the AAC um, against the Houston Rockets. That'll be televised on TXA twenty one. If you want to check out, uh, hopefully they roll the starters out there and you get a little bit of a look at what the starting unit might be like and how few times Harrison Barnes will touch the basketball. Uh, and we do have a special episode for you tomorrow. Um, ben DeBose, he does the uh, Houston Rockets Locked on Rockets podcast. We're going to have him on and tell us uh, you know, why the Rockets are going to be better than the Mavericks this season and how he feels about Ryan Anderson playing the four. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll go back and forth and have some fun. We'll post that for you tomorrow. But uh, thank you for listening to Locked on Mavericks. We're part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It's your team. It's every single day bringing something to you that we, uh, we hope is interesting. And, uh, you know, you all seem to be into it. So thank you. Thank you for the support. Give us a review on iTunes, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff that you would do to people that you like. Um, if you want to submit some questions, you can do so at Locked on Mavs on Twitter 
or LockedOnMavs at gmail.com as I just remembered, or it took me about 15 minutes to reset the password because I completely forgot what it was. Uh, so now we're going to do some questions today. It wasn't Brasino? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't Nicola Brasino. Um, and, it, and it also wasn't uh, Long Live John Gibson, but that might be the next one. Um, so we're going to dive into some of the questions that you submitted to us. Uh, we're going to get through as many as we can in the next, uh, you know, about 15 minutes and see where we leave it. And the ones we don't get to today, we'll get to later in the week because we've used all our good ideas, quite frankly. <laughs> and we're two days and we're, uh, what, three, five actual episodes away from real basketball happening. So, Jacob, the floor is yours. I think you had the first question uh, from Twitter. Yeah, Jason Lustig, I don't know, I may be pronouncing his name incorrectly, but uh, he's an awesome, awesome Mavs mind. Uh, You know, we don't really take calls on the postgame show because it's, like, technically really difficult. Right. But it always has awesome observations right after a game. Um, But this one's less, you know, game-specific or X's and O's specific and more of a macro, uh, as Alex Jones would say, globalist question. And that is, uh, would be interested in the topic discussing the Mavs' organizational structure. Who actually makes the basketball decisions? How much say does Donnie have? He seems to have lifetime employment, but is he good at his job? I have no idea because I don't know what his role is exactly, but I know he rarely gets any public criticism. I think you could add into this Donnie, Cuban, and Carlisle. Mm-hmm. And the power troika that the Mavericks currently have on hand and have on hand have had on hand for almost a decade now. What is it? What are, what are we? Year eight for Rick? Yeah, man, it's been a while. He was, I think, 2011 was like his third or fourth year. So, man, we're working on a, we got a long time. This is this is rare in the NBA to have a coach yeah, for this long. And I, I, I think that what this question gets to the heart of there, are, there are a couple different angles here. You could ask the question of, just at a basic level, is Donnie Nelson good at his job? But then. You could also kind of drill down further and define what is success in professional sports, um, yeah. and does it vary from sport to sport? Does being in the playoffs every year but one year of your tenure and getting two championship berths and winning one of them, does that constitute success even if you only have uh, you know, one title, even if you've only been to two titles over that, you know, for Donnie, what feels like, what, 15 years now, 16 years? Yeah, I mean, um, he took over part-time head coaching, I think, back before Avery took over, right? Or was that when Avery left? But he's been making decisions in the front office for a really, really damn long time. Oh, I mean, he was involved in the front office when Big Whistle was here. Yeah. So Don, Donnie's been around for, for a long, long time. Uh, I mean, he was here for part of drafting Dirk. Mm-hmm. So he's been here for, for forever. But the question is, you know, if they had, let's say they had two titles during that run, they had closed out Miami, mm-hmm. would we even be having this conversation even if the last five years looked exactly the same? No, and, because one is one sounds like a fluke. Right, it's exactly you know, two, right. But the reason, two the, reason I would, the reason I would say that that's a little bit sketchy to me is if you look at the time from, I think, like 2003 maybe to 2011 when they won the title, they had the second highest winning percentage in basketball behind only San Antonio. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe they were only able to turn that into two title appearances and one actual ring, but that's not like, uh, you know, the Marlins where, you know, and I can't even think of a good NBA example because if you get something great in the NBA, you hold on to it. Now, that might Mm -hmm. sound ironic given what they did after the 2011 title team, but... We've talked that to death uh, as far as that being the end of a championship window for a certain group of guys. But 
I don't know. It depends. If you're the type of person that thinks that you either win a title or you fail, then I would say that, yeah, uh, the last five years in some ways may have, I don't know, nullified some of what they did beforehand. What I think is more interesting is that they keep it murky for a reason. They keep it murky so that they can deflect criticism because Mm – the perfect example I think of is uh, after Giannis's draft, you know, when he came back, when Milwaukee came back through here last year, a couple years down the line, and they try to tell us that they really wanted him. Mm-hmm. And then Donnie says he really wanted him. Cuban says Donnie really wanted him. But at the same time, Cuban wanted <sighs> Dwight Howard so bad that he was willing to maneuver in the draft to get another half mil to have, you know, full maximum non-bird right uh, offer to Dwight, mm-hmm. which I have to figure at the time, Donnie had to at least been partially on board with because yeah. he was, you know, the GM uh, mm-hmm. or the president of basketball operations. So when they say stuff like that, I almost feel like Cuban's trying to be like, oh, yeah, Donnie, he does him a lot of favors publicly. Like there's a number of times where Cuban will say something like, yeah, that, you know, Donnie really wanted that and I kind of screwed it up. And I don't know. It's it's really, really similar to the way the Cowboys do business. Although, at least with the Cowboys, Jerry kind of seems to be, like, obsessed with being the guy in charge, whereas Cuban seems like he's moving the – it's the little deal in the eighth inning where they move the hats around and you can't really guess, like, which is underneath. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think you have to throw Rick in there, um, like you said, because I truly feel like Rick Carlisle is the co-assistant GM to Donnie Nelson. And what they do on the day-to-day, I'm not sure of. I know Donnie makes the phone calls. He has everyone's numbers. Uh, And if you're going to make a trade, it's going to be through Donnie Nelson throwing stuff against the wall and then running it back to Rick Carlisle. We kind of figured that out during the Rondo trade. Um, But I do feel like they've been graded on a curve for about 10 to 15 years now. And it takes – I don't know, it just takes time for everything to adjust. You know what I mean? Like you you set your mindset of – you know, they have basically a free pass because of what they did with Dirk and 50 win seasons um, in the dozens like those don't happen <laughs> in the league. So if you're a dude that really likes to play or likes to watch competitive basketball and watch a good basketball team on a nightly basis, they've been fantastic. But if you're a dude that says, well, they're the fifth biggest market, they have a superstar, they didn't maximize their superstar, then with only one title, then you think they failed. Then you probably give them C plus B minus over the last 15 years as a whole, but Dirk's always there and you can't take that away from them. Um, you can say it was fluky. You can say it's the one good, you know, thing they've done, uh, over the last, you know, two decades, but it doesn't change that they did it. And to me, the biggest, most interesting thing about this front office and this organization is in general is they were so stinking good at cheating the system for a decade they were the best front office in basketball for a decade of being willing to spend more than anybody, being willing to push um, the draft picks down the road in exchange for, you know, uh, players that could contribute now and make the what they thought make the most of Dirk's prime. And now the landscape's shifted. Um, they're trying to figure out how to, uh, how to frack uh, gas instead of building oil rigs. And it's moving a little fast for them, I feel like. And the last five years have been a stinking disaster. Like, there's no way around it. They played their hand, and we've gone on over this 30-plus times, and they played it wrong. And there's no alibi for that. They know they've done, they did wrong. 
they'd probably apologize in private and be like, man, we really screwed up. Like, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. But they're learning. They're having to relearn how to do this and how to take the draft, you know, deadly serious where your livelihood depends on it. And it's just taking some time. And it's yeah. taking a little, little bit longer than I'm comfortable with. But Well, I would even say that some of this is some of this was inevitable and no one likes to talk about it because right. it makes it sound like you're doing two things. It makes it sound like you're absolving them of responsibility mm-hmm. and it makes it sound like you're blaming Dirk. Well right. the fact is is that when superstars get old you're pretty much reliant on, I think, a couple pretty narrow paths to keep them relevant. That mm-hmm. is, you either have to have already had a number of young players in place to go play with them. And that's what I've always been bothered by whenever people are like, well, after 2011, the cupboard was bare. I'm like, well, then don't sit here and tell me Brian Cardinal was a part, or J.J. Barea, or Peja Stoyakovich, or any number of guys were an integral part in whatever small role they played in the title team. Because mm-hmm. if you're saying that veteran hunger played a big part of that, then I'm not positive that having three guys on rookie deals be the 13th, 14th, and 15th man on your roster would have got that done. And I don't want a butterfly effect yeah. a title team. So to me, that one really isn't doable. There, there was almost no way, I think, that you can at the same time say the Mavericks used veteran drive to get a title and also say – after 2011, they should have been younger. I don't think yeah. that I don't think that passes the test. There's only so much time in practice, and only so much time to develop, and there's only so many roster spots. Quite honestly, yeah, like you and can't you can't talk at a both side. Yeah, and part you, of having a guy that's that old is a lot of times they don't want to play with young players. They don't yeah. want to play with guys that that have never been around before. They they don't you know they'll they'd rather take a shot on Darren Collison, even though Darren Collison wasn't good here. And yeah. nobody could get Dirk the ball. I guarantee you Darren Collison would have been better than if they had picked a point guard the year before and started him in year one or year two. So part of it is just I think it's inevitable that when your superstar is getting older, you either have to have the very rare, and I'm talking like singular case that San Antonio had mm-hmm. where they transitioned through like three different eras of players with Duncan and really with Robinson. Mm-hmm. You have that, which is, again, if we consider that next to impossible, your next best bet is to be able to sign guys up to join them. And that's like, for example, what the Lakers tried. And it failed for the Lakers. The Lakers actually tried the exact same thing the Mavericks did with Kobe as Dallas did with Dirk. Mm -hmm. You get Steve Nash. You get Dwight Howard. You get Ron Artest. And as they found, that shit takes time. Yeah. And – the Mavericks were never even able to get close enough to get guys to have it make time, but that's where we get back to the gulf between being L.A., New York, or Miami mm-hmm. and being Dallas. And so, to me, the really the only outcome that would have been different for the Mavericks it, heading into 2016-17 is if they had been pretty bad over the last five years. And if you go 2000 to 2016, they still have the second-highest winning percentage in basketball. Yeah. If, if, you, go, if you just go 2012 – Post-title, 2012 to 2016, the Mavericks still have the 11th best record in the league. Mm -hmm. So the only way that they would be in a better spot, I think, right now heading into next year is if instead of being 11th, they had been about, I don't know, 25th. And if they'd been 25th, Dirk wouldn't be here heading into next year. Uh, And that's, for example, by the way, exactly what the Lakers are. The Lakers are 26th since 2012. Uh, with a win percentage of 383, the Mavericks have almost doubled them up. Well, not doubled them up, but the Mavericks are at 553. So this is one of the things that just always bothers me about 
sports fandom is in anything in life, I think you have to look at the good as it is related to the bad. Like mm-hmm. this good came with bad, a different type of good may have came with more bad, less bad, whatever, but it is related. Yeah. Yeah. And I, whenever we talk about this, it takes so so long to actually like get into, you know, the meat and potatoes of it because I, I, I fear that fans, Mavs fans, feel that we're um, being like far too negative as a front office. But I feel like we've had this conversation 100 times where I'm almost skipping the part where I say, thank you for Dirk. Thank you for the 50 win seasons. Here's the real issues that are happening now. And you can't do all that every time you talk about this issue. Yeah. Otherwise, you just like lose your. It takes it takes thirty seconds to get into exactly what you're talking about. It's only you know you just thrown out the rigby. You know Richard is great, but you know, <laughs> um, so it takes it takes a long time to get down to um, what is actually happening now, happening now, and what it you know what affected it leading into it, and all the good things that have been done. Yeah, I take those. Um, and I give them credit for every single piece of it. And I'm totally on board with you can't talk out of both sides of your mouths and say, uh, you know, veteran drive did this. Dudes that knew they were on their last leg in the NBA and their last best chance to win a title is here. But also, I really wish you would have developed a, uh, you know, a Kawhi Leonard during that time. It's very difficult to do that. And no team really does that except for the Spurs. And if you're going to hold them to a Spurs standard, then we're going to have a real long time uh, in, in this conversation uh, going back and forth. I think we should at least – that's d- spot on, but no one wants to hear that. And I feel like it almost has been harder for Dallas to sell their success to their fans front office-wise because they're in the same division as the Spurs. Like yeah. if they weren't the Spurs' rival, I don't think everybody would look at the Spurs and be like, but why can't we be them? Well, uh, no one can be them. So mm-hmm. if you just ex- – you know, take them out of the sample, then you've still been pretty good about it. But you know what hasn't helped them? I mentioned the stuff like the Giannis thing, which drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. The weird three weeks they had with Garrison Rosas, yeah. which is like, what are we doing here? Like, we're trying to get another guy involved, but I think that was them we trying all to know adapt. you're not going to give anybody else any autonomy. Right. That was them trying to adapt without letting somebody else drive the boat. Like, you can't, you can't. Uh, admit that we haven't done a great job in uh in you know utilizing these last couple of years in terms of development things like that and we don't know what we're really looking for at this point in terms of what style of player we want um to build for the future and also you can't make you don't have final say on anything yeah like both those things don't work yeah um, you you not only have final say in the front office i'm not even sure the the front office has final say with rick yeah like, that's another thing that nobody really talks about whenever they talk about how bad they are at drafting. I mean, I don't think there's any amount of minutes you could have given Shane Larkin that would have made him an impact starting pro. Right. But if Rick doesn't want to play them and Dirk doesn't want to play with young players, like, your drafting can only be so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they were the perfect front office for a certain time and place in the NBA. And they made the most of what they had. Um, and now that the game has changed, they're the old dog trying to, you know, learn new tricks. And it takes a while, honestly. And it takes, you know, maybe a couple of years before they start looking in the mirror and going, yeah, we probably need a guy like Gerson Rosas to come in here and, you know, acquire younger players that can do, you know, can play both ways and, you know, all the things he's about. And then, but you also want to be king of the castle. Yeah. And, you know, they're fi- they'll figure it out eventually. Either that or there'll be, you know, a new GM and a new owner in here. 
uh, if this next rebuild, quote unquote, rebuild doesn't work, because I don't know if they have the they have the stomach for two to three, <laughs> you know, uh, top five pick seasons. Oh, I can almost certainly tell you that they don't. The, uh, I think Cuban would just assume sell the team. Yeah, and I don't know that they. I don't really know that you have to get that bad. I think if you look at the last, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but I mean there are a number of guys that have been picked eight to eighteen mm-hmm. or eight to twenty in the last four years that are now getting close to, or five years that are now getting hundred million dollar deals because they deserve it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I don't think you have to be picking. You might have to be picking top five to get like you know Durant. Yeah, or Anthony Davis, but or Carl Anthony Towns, but I don't think you have to be picking that high to get Stephen Adams or C.J. McCollum. Yeah, and I think if you get a couple of those guys and you add them to guys that you've already signed and you are able to do something in the second round to fill out your bench, then all of a sudden you're back in the mix, and then as it sort of replicates itself, you're more attractive to free agents. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the spot that they're in now, but I. I have no idea if Donnie Nelson is here in three years or not. Like, I really have zero feel for it. I, yeah. I think it would be really beneficial to them if they had a Will McClay type shadow figure who doesn't mm-hmm. who doesn't care if people credit him, right? And has like a different name title every year. But we all kind of think he had something to do with a different direction. But I don't see that happening. Like, if I had to bet, I would say Donnie Nelson is pretty good at his job. Not as good in this uh, era as he was in the previous one, and zero feel for whether or not he'll ever be able to good uh, be good the way that it is now. Yeah, no, that's that was perfectly said. All right, we only got to one question, but uh, <laughs> we'll that was a good one, though. I that mean, was a good one. Listen, that was a good one. We got like ten more of these to do before uh, <laughs> before we have actual games to talk about. So come right. On. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, that'll be today's episode. Tomorrow we'll have uh, Ben DeBose of uh, Locked on Rockets to preview that, uh, not necessarily preview the, the preseason game, but tell us what the hell's going on with the Rockets down there in Houston uh, heading into preseason game number six. So uh, please subscribe. Please rate and review. Thank you for listening to Locked on Mavericks. And Jacob, thank, for, thank you for your time. Yes, sir. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.